going to take just a moment to echo what Pastor Ted said earlier about wishing all of you I'm uh, extending my deepest appreciation to all of you mothers out there and all you godly women. My mom, my own mother, is right there, and I want to wish her. First time I've had a chance to see her and talk to her today. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Glad that, uh, I'm glad that you are such a wonderful mom to me, but also to my children. And, uh, and I want to just extend that same uh, warm appreciation to all the rest of you out there. I, I was thinking earlier this week about my own mother. And my grandmother, who has now passed away, I only had one grandmother who, who was alive when I was born. And it was my mother's mother. And the two of those ladies really invested in me. And they had a lot they had felt like they needed to work on. Because there was a lot, there was a rambunctious little boy that needed a lot of help. And, uh, and I, I just was thinking about, you know, all of the, the things that they taught me personally as I was growing up. And I was, I was just thinking about that fondly with appreciation. But my mind also went to the faces of other ladies who, who were Sunday school teachers through the years, who invested in me at various times, uh, not simply when I was a child, but even when I got on up to be older. And, and, and then that, that just continued to the faces of many who continue to nurture and invest in me even today, many of whom are even in this room right now. And so I just want to take the opportunity to say thank you and I thank you for investing in me. And, and you know, a, a godly woman is not one who simply invests in her own children, but a godly woman is one who invests in others who are not biologically hers, but they, they continue to invest in the gospel in them. And so on, on, from, from myself and from my family, I just want to say uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you, and, and I just pray that God will bless you. And I hope that if you have the opportunity to contact your mother or grandmother today that you will do so. And I will remind you of these words from the Proverbs, Proverbs 31, verse 30. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And so may you experience that praise today, that well-earned praise from, from God and from His Holy Spirit and from His people. If you've got your Bibles, I hope that you do. Please take them and turn with me to Gospel of Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, we're going to continue our study through this gospel that we have been on for quite some time. And as I was studying, they're looking at the last verses of this chapter this morning, beginning in verse 38 through 44. I was reminded of a passage of scripture that I always, I don't know, I seem to go back to it a lot. It comes from the Old Testament in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 1 Samuel 16, we, we find that the prophet Samuel was being sent to to find the new king for Israel, to anoint the new king. God had removed his mantle from, from Saul, and, and he sent Samuel to find the new king, and he sent him to Bethlehem. He sent him specifically to the house of Jesse, and he said the, the new king is going to be one of Jesse's sons. And so when, when and Samuel got there, Jesse trotted out his son, his oldest name, Eliab. And immediately when Samuel saw Eliab, he thought this has got to be the one. Evidently, Eliab was, was impressive physically to look at. He was, he was what I guess a lot of us are impressed with. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He looked, he looked the part. He looked the part just as Saul before him had looked the part. But, but God put, put the brakes on Samuel. He says, whoa, slow down a little bit. And then you get to a, a key verse in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. And then he tells him why. He says, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
I have always been struck by that verse. It always seems to hit me right between the eyes. And because it so clearly unfolds for us the difference in how God views things versus how we view things. And the reason I think that that verse and that whole passage sort of came to my mind in, in my study of this passage is because when we get to the end verses of Mark chapter 12, I believe what we see is, is a, a, a similar scenario unfold. The context of our passage is that Jesus is still in the temple. He's there in the final days of his life before he is crucified. It is the time of Passover, so the temple is very crowded with people who have come from all over Palestine to, to, to worship and to offer their sacrifices there. And what we recognize is that Jesus is concluding his public teaching that he was giving to all of the people. The final teaching that he gives occurs in these verses. And then we see that Jesus observes. He sits down and begins to observe the things that are going on within the temple. And when he does these things, what we begin to recognize is that Jesus offers his commentary on the things that he sees. And what we notice is that Jesus, like God, because he is God, doesn't just see what's on the outward. He goes beneath. He drills down deep and sees what's going on on the inside. So with that as an introduction, let's read our text this morning. Verse 38 begins our text. Then Jesus said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to come together, to open our scriptures and to be able to read them. And now as we have read them, I pray you would give us insight and that you would give us wisdom and understanding and discernment and then help us to apply the truths that are there into our own lives that we may be more like Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. The passage before us divides fairly evenly into two different halves. The first half reveals Jesus' final words of his teaching to the general public. And, and these final words were words of warning concerning a group of religious leaders who were very visible in Jewish society. These were people who, who everyone knew and everyone had seen. That's the first half. The second half of this passage is devoted to Jesus' comments regarding the actions of someone who would have largely gone unnoticed by the general population. So in light of that, I've decided to provide for you an outline this morning that I hope kind of keeps with the division of the text. 
And, and, and therefore, allow me to just give you the very first point this morning. The first point that we see based upon what we read here from verses 38 through 40 is this. Jesus tells us to beware of the condemned scribes. Beware of the condemned scribes. Now, if you want to know where I got the, the words for that point, they're right there. I don't want you to think that I was kind of drew them out anywhere else. You see verse 38, the first words of verse 38 simply are this. He says, then beware of the scribes. So that's where the first part of that comes. And then if you look down in verse 40, you'll see the other part of it. They will receive greater condemnation. So there's where you get the points. I didn't put those things into a hat and pull them out. That comes straight from the text. Beware of the condemned scribes. Now, here's the point. Jesus is giving his listeners a warning. He is, he's alerting them to something that there's great danger in. And that's the reason for, for making sure that he, he says, beware. There's danger in their midst and they need to be on high alert. Here, here's the way that I paraphrased what Jesus has said in these verses. I, I, I took the liberty to kind of put it in my own language. And it says, he says, look, be very careful around those religious leaders who dress in the best clothes who try to get all the attention, the ones who are always looking to be first in line and get the best seats, who, who, try to always take, who seem to always take advantage of the helpless for their own personal gain, and who like to make a show of their religion. Watch out for them, Jesus says, and don't try to model yourselves after them because they have a greater judgment coming. That's the warning that Jesus gives. Now, let me just say that, that Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40 is a very condensed version of a much longer passage parallel to it that Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 23. In fact, if you go read Matthew 23, you'll get pretty much everything that Mark says here. But in addition to that, we read there that Jesus just blasts all of the scribes and as well as many of the Pharisees. And in fact, he goes on to call them hypocrites. He calls them blind guides. He calls them sons of hell. He calls them whitewashed tombs, serpents, and vipers. And when you finish reading Matthew 23, you want to say, come on, Jesus, tell us how you really felt about these guys. Matthew also records a very key instruction in Matthew 23 that I think helps us here understand the purpose of, of, of what we read here in Mark. Jesus says about those scribes, he says, but do not do according to their works. In other words, he says, don't act the way that they act. Don't look at their lifestyle and think that that's how you're supposed to live. Don't confuse the way they operate or, or confuse their outward appearances as being signs that they live under God's blessings. Nothing could be further from the truth because the fact is, Jesus says they will come under God's strict condemnation. So, so what we understand very clearly is that things are going to turn out pretty bad for the scribes. But for the moment, when you look at it from the moment, things look really good for them. In fact, note what Jesus says in, in, in verse 38. He, he talks about them wearing long flowing robes. No doubt they were beautiful. They, were, they, were, they, were, they brought great attention to themselves. James Edwards makes the point of saying that their robes were full-length prayer shawls, tassels attached to all four corners. They were made of wool and linen, so they were, they were light-colored. They were white or very light-colored robes that were worn. And so they, draw, they would draw attention to themselves when they would walk through. People would just, it was like every, it was like a magnet of attention to what they were wearing. 
These guys obviously dressed to impress people. Not only that, but whenever they would walk through the marketplace, they were always, they loved to be greeted. Edwards goes on to comment that, that when a scribe walked down the street or passed through a marketplace, everyone, with the exception of laborers, was expected to rise before him. So you could not only tell who he was by the, by the robe that he wore, but if you were just looking at the crowd, you could tell where he walked because everybody would be standing up in his presence. Not only that, we also see that all the feasts, the scribes got to sit at the head table. They got to sit at the choice spots. And they didn't just get to sit at the choice spots, they got to eat the choice food to go along with it. All of this were the visible things that were taking place on the outside. And honestly, to most of us, we would have looked at it and said, man, they are living large. This is the way to live. This is, they've got it good. But remember, Jesus says, beware. This is a warning passage. And what Jesus has told us to beware, the reason for that is because he exposes what's going on inside their hearts. He's like, don't get tripped up and get so enamored with the externals that you don't see what's happening inside. Notice that Jesus says in verse 38 that the scribes desire such things. R.T. France notes that the Greek word for desire is often a rather colorless word. He says here, this word has a very strong meaning. Here it describes the ambitions of the scribes who take pleasure in all of these outward things. Jesus also goes on to say that they love the greetings that they received. And, and not only did they love those, but I think it's appropriate for us to apply that same affection toward all the other things that they were able to experience in their life. They, they had a, a real desire for it and a love for it. And what that tells us is that the scribes had a preoccupation with status and reputation. And therefore, if we drill down past what we simply see on the surface, then we get an understanding of why Jesus warns us and we recognize that Jesus warns us about these condemned scribes. First of all, notice the subpoint A there on your outlines because they were prideful. He warns us about them because they were prideful. Jesus' warning tells us that pride is not something that we need to respect or seek. The scribes were not worthy of emulation. It's obvious from the way that Jesus words his comments here that God is not impressed with their approach to life. In fact, the scriptures teach us this in, in, in Proverbs 16, verse 13. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. If my dad quoted that verse to me five times in my life, he quoted it 5,000. It's because he knew what he was dealing with. I'm glad he quoted it to me. It was one of the first verses, I think, that I ever truly memorized. And I've memorized it in the King James. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. I'm glad that he taught me that. Because Jesus tells us very clearly that is not something to be emulated. To demonstrate that kind of a haughty attitude is not something that God looks at with approval. But there's more here. Notice that Jesus talks about the scribes devouring widows' houses. Well, what an interesting word that is. In the first century, widows, along with orphans, made up the most vulnerable of society. That's why James tells us in his epistle, he says that, Pure and undefiled religion before God, undefiled religion before God is to take care of the needs of the widows and the orphans. However, what Jesus exposes is that the scribes, they had such voracious appetites that they actually devoured 
the houses of the widows. Now, that's not to be taken literally. They didn't obviously eat them, but it does say that they had such a voracious appetite. Their greed was so much that they went after anything that they could get that would, that would supplement themselves and be for their own advantage. In other words, the Bible doesn't say specifically how they went about this, but what we recognize is they were taking advantage of those widows, ultimately depriving them of their property and of their little, what little wealth they may have had. So you get the you get the impression that the scribes were praying on these widows for their own advantage. and then So that tells us the next thing that we recognize. They were not only prideful, but they were also greedy. They were greedy. Jesus says, beware. But then that's not all. Jesus next describes the long prayers that they prayed. Clearly, they prayed these long prayers for, out of a motivation because he says that they were, it was all done for a pretense. Some of your versions will say they prayed these long prayers for show. You might remember back in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed this exact issue. He talked about all those that would go into the synagogues. They would stand out on the street corners. They would go into the temple. They would make these long prayers and long flowing words. And they, would just, they, were, they wanted to be known by the amount of words that they could speak. And Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 5, they did all of it so that they might be seen by men. The image that you get there is maybe of a, of, a, of a peacock that's preening his feathers so that everybody would notice. Showing off so that everybody would take note. That's what Jesus says. And what he says is that is not something to be emulated. Why? Because it's all something that's done on the surface. It's all something that's right on the, the, the that just can be seen. But when you dig underneath it, there's no substance to it. It's all done for pretense. It's all done for show. So that gives us the last reason why we need to beware of these condemned scribes. They were prideful. They were greedy. But then the last point you'll notice there, they were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. They made a show of their public religion in order to impress others and to attract attention. And Jesus warns us unequivocally that these scribes were not people to be, to be followed. Because of their self-centeredness, he concludes that that such folks were eaten up with pride and they were motivated by greed and they portrayed themselves to be someone that they were not truly underneath. And then he tells us this, they will be severely punished. They will face greater judgment, Jesus says. So there's the warning. There's the warning of this opening passage. Beware the condemned scribes, lest we be tempted to travel down similar destructive paths with a similar and equally destructive end. Don't be fooled by the externals, Jesus says. Rather, beware of them. Now, that ends the public teaching of Jesus. And I find that to be interesting. It's, it's, it's with that that he withdraws from all the public teaching and now spends the, the rest of his time, any teaching that he does, in with his disciples privately. So he, he, he ends with a rebuke of the religious leaders and a warning about following them and then he pulls away. And interestingly, when he pulls away, the first thing that he does is he takes a seat opposite the treasury there in the temple. And I think it's important to note that, as I mentioned earlier, this was the time of Passover. So there's a lot of people there. People have come from all over Palestine to be in Jerusalem and specifically to be in the temple. And they had come with their, with their offerings, with their gifts to, to, to give to the Lord. And as he sits down, he looks and there were 13 different collection boxes in the court of the women in the temple. And those collection boxes were, were chests that were set up that on top of them had 
what is called a shofar or, or a trumpet-like horn made of metal. And that was to keep anybody from getting inside the box. And so from everything, it was wide at the bottom and more narrow at the top. That way no one could reach their hand down in. And people would come with their, with their gifts and they would take their coins because they didn't have folding money. They didn't have checks. They didn't have credit cards. They had coins, metal coins. And they would take those coins and drop them down into that horn, that trumpet, and it would fall down into the chest. And much like our coins today, every coin, depending on its value, had a different sound. And you would hear those coins as they clanged against the side of that metal horn. You could tell. I mean, you knew which ones had weight. Much like if you take a silver dollar today or the old silver quarters and drop them, you can tell the difference between silver and then the, 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 the kind of coins that we actually use today. You can hear the difference. And you can hear the difference between a quarter and a penny. Well... All of these people, they're lined up. They have their money to drop inside these trumpet-like collection boxes. And, and Jesus sees all of this going on. But then he calls his disciples over for them to notice, not, not to beware of the condemned scribes, but notice the second point on your outline this morning. He wants them to be aware of the commended widow. Be aware of the commended widow. Now, you'll no doubt notice the difference, the similarities between the first point and the second point, and I did that on purpose. Jesus says to beware there in verse 38. You don't find the exact word be aware in the last half, but you do see that he calls the attention of what she does to his disciples. So he is telling them, you want to take note of this. And I want you to know this, to, to beware of something is not the same as to be aware to beware of something means to avoid something because of its dangerous association attached to it. But to be aware of something means simply to take note of it, to consider it, to give attention to it. And such is the case here. So what did Jesus see that he wanted the disciples to also see? Well, notice he didn't call attention to all the rich people that had all of their bags full of money dropping them in. He doesn't, he doesn't decry them. He doesn't put them down. But that's not who he's calling attention to. There were many of them out there that his disciples could have seen. Instead, Jesus draws his attention not to the wealthy, but to someone who would have likely gone unnoticed by everybody. To this little widow. Not only a widow, but a poor widow. And I can't help but wonder, was she one of those widows that had had her house devoured by the scribes? Is that the reason why she was poor? Is because she, she had been the one who had been taken advantage of? Possibly. Jesus doesn't say specifically, but it certainly could be the case. Nevertheless, Jesus calls attention to the fact that she goes and she puts in two mites or two little copper coins. The Greek word for that is the word leptos, that word literally means something that is peeled or fine or thin, small or light. In other words, a leptos was something that was very, very thin, very, very small and had very little weight to it. In fact, a leptos was only one-eighth of a cent. And I tell you, when it hit the walls of the metal horn going down, if it made any sound at all, one would probably not be able to hear it. It's not hard for us to imagine that such a poverty-stricken widow, 
In contradistinction to those elaborately dressed scribes who were in their long flowing robes, she probably had on worn and tattered clothes. And unlike the attention-seeking scribe, she probably didn't want any attention. She wanted to come do what she did to the Lord and then ease out. In fact, Kent Hughes says, undoubtedly her approach to the trumpets was quiet, almost stealth-like, head bowed, hoping to draw no attention to herself. Yet, what we recognize is that her hopes for being under the radar were not realized because Jesus saw what she did. And just as the scribes, he moved past what happened on the surface to what was going on underneath. And that's where we get the next thing. He says to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. You know, last week we talked about the passage where Jesus brought out Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, we brought out David's riddle about how could the Messiah be both both God's son, be, be the Messiah. How could he be the, the eternal one that the Bible speaks of and yet be David's son as well? And that was the riddle that came out of there. I want you to know there's a riddle in this passage too. Jesus actually exposes it to us. The riddle is simply this. When is a little more than a lot? Well, and he answers it by saying a little is more than a lot when it's everything you have. Jesus says... She gave more than everybody else because why? She gave everything she had. There's some thought-provoking implications of what Jesus says here. For example, we should be mindful of the fact that our giving, listen, is always done in the sight of the Lord. I want to just state very clearly, many of you have heard me state it privately, I'm stating it publicly here. I don't know what one person gives to this church. Not one. Except for my wife and myself. That's the only family that I know who gives anything to this church. I have no clue. But I want you to know, in spite of that fact, and I can say that with all honesty, God sees everything. There's nothing that evades his attention. He knows it all. He knows everything about us. He knows everything we give. He knows everything we withhold. Everything that she gave and everything the others gave was given in the sight of Christ. He saw it all. Furthermore, we should recognize that when God sees what we give, He doesn't measure it by an amount. <laughs> Rather, He measures it by proportion and by sacrifice. See, without a doubt, there were rich people who stood in line with their sacks of money and contributed to those 13 different treasury boxes. And they contributed more amount-wise than this poor widow did. But they gave out of their abundance. As R.C. Sproul says... They gave to God what they could spare. The widow, on the other hand, had nothing to spare. But what she had, she gave. I love, how, I love how Hughes puts it. He says, when it comes to giving, the posture of our hearts makes all the difference. So, so Jesus has brought this poor widow to the attention of his disciples. And he has commended her giving. And what... What did he see that we ought to recognize? Well, the first sub-point there was that she was humble. She was humble. We've already discussed her approach. It bears repeating that unlike the scribe, she was not trying to draw attention to herself. She recognized she had no standing before God because she was the poorest and least in society. Yet she came, not in pride, but in humility. That's the first thing we need to note. Secondly, we need to recognize that she was sacrificial. I think it's interesting that though she didn't have much, in fact, you could say she had next to nothing, 
She gave all she had. She had two mites. So she could have withheld one for herself and given one. And even if she had done that, that would have been 50%. And that would have been a lot. I dare say it probably would have exceeded the percentage given by many of the others who stood contributing who were more wealthy than she was. And yet, the Bible says that she gave it all. We should note that Jesus does not put down the contributions of the others, nor should we. The fact of the matter is, one should give in proportion to what they believe God has led them to give. He does point out here that this woman's contribution was greater despite its size. And here's the point. The size of a gift is not always indicative of the sacrifice. When I thought about her example, I was drawn back to what Jesus had said in the previous, one of our previous passages when the scribe asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What this woman demonstrates is that physically taking place. She loved him with all that she had. And loving the Lord your God with all you've got is loving him through sacrifice. Note the last point, though, that we need to note, and that was she was devoted. She was humble. She was sacrificial. She was devoted. The woman had no intention of coming under the gaze of Jesus and his disciples, and yet she did. What she wanted to do was just to come before the one who she knew would care for her all the days of her life and return to him what she had, and she hoped to remain faithful and true to God. Her devotion was clear. So Jesus has addressed two very opposing figures in this passage. He has issued a warning about the scribes, and he has called attention to this widow. And in doing so, he has given us the opportunity to look at things from his perspective. And that leads me then to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. Regardless of how impressive or meager the externals may be, God looks at the inward qualities of a person and condemns the self-sufficient heart gripped by pride, greed, and hypocrisy and commends the humble, sacrificial, and devoted heart of one who is fully dependent upon him. So in effect, if we consider that, then we, we kind of come back that this passage is really a confirmation of what we looked at at the beginning in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And that is that God sees things differently than we do. God looks past the externals to see what's going on inside our heart. He understands why we give and the motivation for our giving. He understands, he understands why we run after the approval and the praise of men. We tend to make our evaluations based upon the things that we can see. God looks deeper. He looks at the heart and he measures things according to a different scale. And so in light of that, what we come to the grips is simply this. If... If the Lord is not impressed with the externals and if he truly looks at the heart, then the, the question that this text begs us to ask is simply this. What does he see when he looks at your heart? Because you see, none of us are going to be able to avoid the intense stare of God either. When he looks at you, does he find in you a heart that fully recognizes your complete and total dependence upon Him? Does He see the true humility born out of a recognition 
of your spiritual poverty? Does he recognize in you that your heart is someone who is completely dependent upon his grace? Does he find a heart that is willing to surrender everything to him? The Bible says that we are to offer our bodies a willing, living sacrifice. When he looks at you, does he see that? When God looks into your heart, does he find true and unvarnished devotion to him and to his kingdom's work? In light of what Jesus teaches elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When he looks into your life, does he find a heart that is for God and for his gospel? Or when the Lord stares you down, will he find that your desire for, is a desire for personal greatness and self-sufficiency and that that has actually squeezed out any room for the greatness of God and dependence upon him? Friend, if that is the case, if in your heart there is no room for God's greatness, if your life is characterized by self-promotion and selfish pursuits, if your show of religion is simply that, if it's show, then you must heed Christ's warning from this passage and beware the scribes because the condemnation of such prideful, greedy, and hypocritical hearts will be severe. I implore you not to fall into the trap that so many fall into where they care more about what others see than what God sees. But I would also implore you to be aware of this widow who received Christ's commendation. You see, her heart and her attitude represent the manner of one who recognizes his or her complete dependence upon God and demonstrates sacrificial devotion to him. The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Brothers and sisters, you and I must be aware and we must beware because God's condemnation and his commendation hang in the balance. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it's for the people of God. Let's pray together.